Book Six, Chapter Five of Henrietta Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henrietta Temple by Benjamin Disraeli. Book Six, Chapter Five. Which, on the whole, is perhaps as remarkable a chapter as any in the work wretched as he was the harsh business of life could not be neglected captain armine was obliged to be in lincoln's inn by ten o'clock the next morning it was on his return from his lawyer as he was about to cross berkeley square that a carriage suddenly stopped in the middle of the road and a female hand apparently beckoned to him from the window he was at first very doubtful whether he were indeed the person to whom the signal was addressed but as on looking around there was not a single human being in sight he at length slowly approached the equipage from which a white handkerchief now waved with considerable agitation somewhat perplexed by this incident the mystery was however immediately explained by the voice of lady bellair you wicked man said her little ladyship in a great rage oh how i hate you i could cut you up into minced meat that i could here i have been giving parties every night all for you too and you have been in town and never called on me tell me your name how is your wife oh you are not married you should marry i hate a ci-devant genoe however you can wait a little here james thomas peter what is your name open the door and let him in there get in get in i have a great deal to say to you and ferdinand found that it was absolutely necessary to comply now where shall we go said her ladyship i have got till two o'clock i make it a rule to be at home every day from two till six to receive my friends you must come and call upon me you may come every day if you like do not leave your card i hate people who leave cards i never see them i order all to be burnt i cannot bear people who leave bits of paper at my house do you want to go anywhere you do not why do you not how is your worthy father sir peter is his name sir peter or sir paul well never mind you know whom i mean and your charming mother my favourite friend she is charming she is quite one of my favourites and were you not to marry tell me why have you not miss miss you know whom i mean whose grandfather was my son's friend in town are they where do they live brook street i will go and call upon them there pull the string and tell him where they live and so in a few minutes Lady Bellair's carriage stopped opposite the house of Miss Grandison. "'Are they early risers?' said her ladyship. "'I get up every morning at six. I dare say they will not receive me, but do you show yourself, and then they cannot refuse.' In consequence of this diplomatic movement, Lady Bellair effected an entrance. Leaning on the arm of Ferdinand, her ladyship was ushered into the morning-room, where she found Lady Armine and Catherine. "'My dear lady, how do you do? And my sweet miss, 
oh your eyes are so bright that it quite makes me young to look upon them i quite love you that i do your grandfather and my poor son were bosom friends and my dear lady where have you been all this time here i have been giving parties every night and all for you all for my bath friends telling everybody about you talking of nothing else everybody longing to see you and you have never been near me my dinner parties are over i shall not give any more dinners until june but i have three evenings yet to-night you must come to me to-night and thursday and saturday you must come on all three nights oh why did you not call upon me i should have asked you to dinner i would have asked you to meet lord colonnade and lady ionia they would have just suited you they would have tasted you but i tell you what i will do i will come and dine with you some day now when will you have me let me see when am i free so saying her ladyship opened a little red book which was her inseparable companion in london all this week i am ticketed monday the derricourts dull but then he is a duke tuesday i dine with bonmont we have made it up he gives me a dinner wednesday wednesday where is wednesday general faneville my own party thursday the maxburys bad dinner but good company friday warring cuts a famous house for eating but that is not my way however i must go for he sends me pines and saturday i dine off a rabbit by myself at one o'clock to go see my dear darling lady st julian's at richmond so it cannot be this or next week i will send you a note i will tell you to-night and now i must go for it is five minutes to two i am always at home from two till six i receive my friends you may come every day and you must come to see my new squirrel my darling funny little grandson gave it to me and my dear miss where is that wicked lady grandison do you ever see her or are you enemies she has got the estate has she not she never calls upon me tell her she is one of my greatest favourites oh why does not she come i should have asked her to dinner and now all my dinners are over till june tell me where she lives and i will call upon her to-morrow so saying and bidding them all farewell very cordially her ladyship took ferdinand's arm and retired captain armine returned to his mother and cousin and sat an hour with them until their carriage was announced just as he was going away he observed lady bellair's little red book which she had left behind poor lady bellair what will she do said miss grandison we must take it to her immediately i will leave it said ferdinand i shall pass her house bellair house was the prettiest mansion in mayfair it was a long building in the italian style situate in the midst of gardens which though not very extensive were laid out with so much art and taste that it was very difficult to believe that you were in a great city the house was furnished and adorned with all that taste for which lady bellair was distinguished all the reception rooms were on the ground floor and were all connected ferdinand who remembered lady bellair's injunctions not to leave cards attracted by the spot 
and not knowing what to do with himself, determined to pay her ladyship a visit, and was ushered into an octagon library, lined with well-laden dwarf cases of brilliant volumes, crowned with no lack of marble busts, bronzes, and Etruscan vases. On each side opened a magnificent saloon, furnished in that classic style which the late accomplished and ingenious Mr. Hope first rendered popular in this country. The wings, projecting far into the gardens, comprised respectively a dining-room and a conservatory of considerable dimensions. Isolated in the midst of the gardens was a long building called the summer-room, lined with Indian matting, and screened on one side from the air merely by Venetian blinds. The walls of this chamber were almost entirely covered with caricatures and prints of the country seats of Lady Bellair's friends, all of which she took care to visit. Here also were her parrots, and some birds of a sweeter voice, a monkey, and the famous squirrel. Lady Bellair was seated at a chair, the back of which was much higher than her head. At her side was a little table with writing materials, on which also was placed a magnificent bell, by Benvenuto Cellini, with which her ladyship summoned her page, who, in the meantime, loitered in the hall. "'You have brought me my book!' she exclaimed, as Ferdinand entered with the mystical volume. "'Give it me! Give it me! Here I cannot tell Mrs. Fancourt what day I can dine with her. I am engaged all this week, and all next.' and I am to dine with your dear family when I like. But Mrs. Fancourt must choose her day, because they will keep. You do not know this gentleman, she said, turning to Mrs. Fancourt. Well, I shall not introduce you. He will not suit you. He is a fine gentleman, and only dines with dukes. Mrs. Fancourt consequently looked very anxious for an introduction. General Fanville, Lady Bellair continued, to a gentleman on her left. "'What day do I dine with you?' "'Wednesday. Is our party full? You must make room for him. He is my greatest favourite. All the ladies are in love with him.' General Fanville expressed his deep sense of the high honour. Ferdinand protested he was engaged on Wednesday. Mrs. Fancourt looked very disappointed that she was thus lost another opportunity of learning the name of so distinguished a personage. There was another knock. Mrs. Fancourt departed. Lady Maxbury and her daughter, Lady Selina, were announced. "'Have you got him?' asked Lady Bellair, very eagerly, as her new visitors entered. "'He has promised most positively,' answered Lady Maxbury. "'Dear good creature!' exclaimed Lady Bellair. "'You are the dearest creature that I know. "'And you are charming,' she continued, addressing herself to Lady Selina. "'If I were a man, I would marry you directly. "'There now, he,' turning to Ferdinand, "'cannot marry you, because he is married already. "'But he should, if he were not. "'And how will he come?' inquired Lady Bellair. "'He will find his way.' said Lady Maxbury. "'And I am not to pay anything?' inquired Lady Bellair. "'Not anything,' said Lady Maxbury. "'I cannot bear paying,' said Lady Bellair. "'But will he dance, and will he bring his bows and arrows? 
Lord Dorfield protests tis nothing without the bows and arrows. What, the New Zealand chief, Lady Belair? inquired the general. Have you seen him? inquired Lady Belair eagerly. Not yet, replied the gentleman. Well, then, you will see him to-night, said Lady Belair, with an air of triumph. He is coming to me to-night. Ferdinand rose and was about to depart. "'You must not go without seeing my squirrel,' said her ladyship, "'that my dear funny grandson gave me. "'He is such a funny boy. "'You must see it. "'You must see it,' added her ladyship in a peremptory tone. "'There, go out of that door, "'and you will find your way to my summer-room, "'and there you will find my squirrel.' The restless Ferdinand was content to quit the library, even with the stipulation of first visiting the squirrel. He walked through a saloon, entered the conservatory, emerged into the garden, and, at length, found himself in the long summer room. At the end of the room a lady was seated, looking over a book of prints. As she heard a footstep, she raised her eyes, and Ferdinand beheld Henrietta Temple. He was speechless. He felt rooted to the ground. All power of thought and motion alike deserted him. There he stood, confounded and aghast. Nor, indeed, was his companion less disturbed. She remained with her eyes fixed on Ferdinand, with an expression of fear, astonishment, and distress impressed upon her features. At length Ferdinand in some degree rallied, and he followed the first impulse of his mind when mind indeed returned to him. He moved to retire. He had retraced half his steps, when a voice, if human voice indeed it were, that sent forth tones so full of choking anguish, pronounced his name. "'Captain Armine,' said the voice. How he trembled, yet mechanically, obedient to his first impulse, he still proceeded to the door. "'Ferdinand,' said the voice. He stopped. He turned. She waved her hand wildly, and then, leaning her arm on the table, buried her face in it. Ferdinand walked to the table at which she was sitting. She heard his footstep near her, yet she neither looked up nor spoke. At length he said, in a still yet clear voice, "'I am here.' "'I have seen Mr. Glastonbury,' she muttered. "'I know it,' he replied. "'Your illness has distressed me,' she said, after a slight pause, her face still concealed, and speaking in a hushed tone. Ferdinand made no reply, and there was another pause, which Miss Temple broke. "'I would that we were at least friends,' she said. The tears came into Ferdinand's eyes, when she said this, for her tone, though low, was now sweet. It touched his heart. Our mutual feelings now are of little consequence, he replied. She sighed, but made no reply. At length Ferdinand said, Farewell, Miss Temple. She started. She looked up. Her mournful countenance harrowed his heart. He knew not what to do, what to say. He could not bear her glance. He, in his turn, averted his eyes. 
our misery is has been great she said in a firmer tone but was it of my making the miserable can bear reproaches do not spare me my situation however proves my sincerity i have erred certainly said ferdinand i could not believe that you could have doubted me it was a mistake he added in a tone of great bitterness miss temple again covered her face as she said i cannot recall the past i wish not to dwell on it i desire only to express to you the interest i take in your welfare my hope that you may yet be happy yes you can be happy ferdinand ferdinand for my sake you will be happy oh henrietta if henrietta i indeed may call you this is worse than that death i curse myself for having escaped no ferdinand say not that exert yourself only exert yourself bear up against irresistible fate your cousin every one says she is so amiable surely farewell madam i thank you for your counsel no ferdinand you shall not go you shall not go in anger pardon me pity me i spoke for your sake i spoke for the best i at least will never be false said ferdinand with energy it shall not be said of me that i broke vows consecrated by the finest emotions of our nature no no i have had my dream it was but a dream but while i live i will live upon its sweet memory ah ferdinand why were you not frank why did you conceal your situation from me no explanation of mine can change our respective situations said ferdinand i content myself therefore by saying that it was not miss temple who had occasion to criticise my conduct you are bitter the lady whom i injured pardoned me she is the most generous the most amiable of her sex if only in gratitude for all her surpassing goodness i would never effect to offer her a heart which never can be hers catherine is indeed more than woman amid my many and almost unparalleled sorrows one of my keenest pangs is the recollection that i should have clouded the life even for a moment of that admirable person alas alas that in all my misery the only woman who sympathizes with my wretchedness is the woman i have injured and so delicate as well as so generous she would not even inquire the name of the individual who had occasioned our mutual desolation would that she knew all murmured henrietta would that i knew her your acquaintance could not influence affairs my very affection for my cousin the complete appreciation which i now possess of her character before so little estimated and so feebly comprehended by me is the very circumstance that with my feelings would prevent our union she may i am confident she will yet be happy i can never make her so our engagement in old days 
was rather the result of family arrangements than of any sympathy. I love her far better now than I did then, and yet she is the very last person in the world that I would marry. I trust, I believe, that my conduct, if it have clouded for a moment her life, will not ultimately, will not long obscure it, and she has every charm and virtue and accident of fortune to attract the admiration and attention of the most favoured. Her feelings towards me at any time could have been but mild and calm. It is a mere abuse of terms to style such sentiments love. But, he added sarcastically, this is too delicate a subject for me to dilate on to Miss Temple. "'For God's sake, do not be so bitter!' she exclaimed, and then she added, in a voice half of anguish, half of tenderness, "'Let me never be taunted by those lips. Oh, Ferdinand, why cannot we be friends?' "'Because we are more than friends. To me such a word from your lips is mere mockery. Let us never meet. That alone remains for us.' Little did I suppose that we ever should meet again. I go nowhere. I enter no single house. My visit here this morning was one of those whimsical vagaries which cannot be counted on. This old lady, indeed, seems somehow or other connected with our destiny. I believe I am greatly indebted to her. The page entered the room. Miss Temple, said the lad, my lady bid me to say the Duchess and Lord Montfort were here. Ferdinand started, and darting, almost unconsciously, a glance of fierce reproach at the miserable Henrietta, he rushed out of the room and made his escape from Belair House without re-entering the library. End of Book Six, Chapter Five